Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. Sammy, yeah. you, you comfortable? I'm good. <laughs> good. Well, My well, lumbar is fully supported. Excellent, man. Well, uh, get ready to settle in because we're we're going to go on a little trip to North Carolina, the home of the Bojangles Fried Chicken Breakfast Biscuit. And uh, we're in Durham today for... Uh, for Bull Durham. Bull Durham. Yeah, man. Yo, when you asked for us to review this, I immediately just thought Field of Dreams. I didn't even know that these were two separate films. Very different movies. Yeah, so we're going back to uh, 1988 for this movie today. 1988, the height of the crack cocaine era. The height mm-hmm. of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I was wearing my Reebok pumps. We've already talked about those. Mm-hmm. And uh, listening to a little bit of Public Enemy, my mind was blown by N.W.A. Straight out of Compton. The first band where you couldn't say, say the whole name. That's true. You know? Yeah. Your Just parents NWA. were like, what? Who's N- what? What's N.W.A.? What's that stand for? And I was like, ah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Straight out of Compton. Appetite for Destruction came out that year. Two of... Two of the most pivotal, pivotal, pivotal albums <laughs> in my in my youth. Yeah, man. Oh, Guns N' Roses was huge. That album was incredible. Um, I love the Welcome to the Jungle video. Yep. You know, he's wearing a straight jacket. He's got all these television sets he's looking at. It just, he looks like a uh, like a, a labradoodle with the hair. Just the feathered, poofy hair. I had no idea yet how people did that to their hair. Mm-hmm. I didn't know there was such a thing as product. I mean that that looked like it uh, took a long time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, do they br- selectively breed humans to get that type of hair? I mean, they do look like border collies. <laughs> <laughs> he had Lassie's stylist. I was like, how how can you look so feathered and so crimped yet be so hard? Yeah, wear yeah, yeah. Le- yeah. tight leather pants, Jim Morrison style, at a bus station in L.A. Uh, <laughs> Nineteen uh, nineteen eighty eight was uh let's see what was going on with with toys and, and whatnot we had tasty cakes tasty cake ovens they were the first uh yeah child child cooking <laughs> toy that actually had an oven you heat it by light bulb i oh, think okay so very very few electrical fires caused by the tasty cake oven tasty bake yeah yes. was it uh tasty cake was like a, a snack food and tasty bake i think was the oven you know, it's some nonsense. There was sure. also the uh, power wheels. I'm sad that I know that. So people are having, people are starting house fires, uh, cooking things as children, and then they're Just getting watching. into uh, vehicular uh, homicide type accidents, or at least role playing vehicular role-playing, homicide yeah. <laughs> with with their power wheels. Um, that's 88, huh? Power wheels. Yeah, I always wanted one, but why? Well, that was just like the most popular, one of the most popular mm-hmm. toys at the time. And the and the two models, the girls were driving the Corvettes. And uh, the the guys were driving the fire trucks, right? You know, if we're going to gender the toys, I mean, and th- we didn't need to. Everyone else did. Everyone else did. But the fire truck was actually a hundred dollars more than the Corvette. Mm-hmm. And typically now, when it comes to like uh, shave shaving devices and whatnot, there's a pink tax. That's what they call it. Because like when you they gender these things that both people use, but mm. they uh, they mark up the price. For ladies, so really? lady deodorant when you go to the pharmacy costs more. Pink razor blades cost more than uh, like just normal <laughs> than the default. Do uh, they cost more disposable than disposable razor Mach blades? Threes? Yeah, oh, well, disposable, sure, disposables. So you know, I don't know. I have, I have to look at the that's at the Mach threes. Pink tax. So yeah, there's that. That's a that's a term. The pink tax. 
Uh, and this is interesting, though, that the, the Corvettes for girls were cheaper than the fire trucks for guys. Wasn't the Barbie convertible Corvette? Yeah, I mean, you know, Barbie. I'm sure she had other other cars too. Mm-hmm. I want like a like a Barbie with suicide doors. <laughs> the bar the Barbie DeLorean, the where, Barbie Wraith, where she goes back in time to when women couldn't vote. <laughs> Is there uh, a time that would <laughs> you know? I mean, comedians have jokes about like you the know, suffragette convertible. <laughs> Yeah, you go back in time to, uh, oh, this is very repressive. I can't wait to get back to 1988. I just want to stay in the... <laughs> right. Um, I want to go back to a simpler time where there was only tasty bake ovens yeah. and my, my, as the only profession. Yeah, my thoughts weren't respected. Yes, so uh, so that's, yeah, there, there are very few uh, time travel toys for, for ladies. I will say that I think that that, that time period was the, hate, the golden era of children's toys. Dude, well, another toy that came out right around this time was Transformers. Transformers was... Yeah, I mean, it came out before this, but it was a top-selling toy in 88. It was awesome. Transformers, uh, He-Man was huge at that time. Yeah, that was like uh, um, prob- one of the first things I ever got. That's like an 80... Uh, He-Man, like peaked in 84 85 84 85 really yeah yeah so you know and it's interesting because these toys it seems like they were around for your entire childhood but mm-hmm. they only had like two or three years where they were hot it's just that so many things happened for you during that time first mm-hmm. first things that, it, that these are all like peak experiences yeah uh transformers movie came out and uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they that that movie is gully. Just straight up murder all of the uh beloved Transformers toys in the first twenty minutes of it. The animated one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Optimus Prime gets killed. Basically there's like a it's a nine eleven scene where the Decepticons take over uh a convoy headed back to Holy um, shit, I remember that. Yeah. Headed back to the, the Autobot City and they kill all of the Autobots on the on the airplane. And then they land and uh, have a terrorist attack on the inside, and Optimus dies. But they, the, cynically, the reason that they did that was that they wanted to uh, clear the way for a whole new batch of toys. So it was all about products. Yeah. They're like, if we kill off these dudes, then the kids will, kids will want to buy Rodimus Prime. Nobody, <laughs> but none of those toys were popular. I feel like Transformers are still popular. <laughs> well... Uh, yeah, they're timeless. Uh, but I there was a dip. If you, like, I watched this documentary on Netflix, and they like lost basically. It was the toys that made us, and so like yeah. that that next wave of Transformers didn't really have the same cachet as the. They the said OGs. that once once the He Man movie was released, the sales of the toys went down by eighty five percent. Well, that <laughs> direct response to it, like dude, a the, really bad. Movie. The He Man movie made me. <laughs> I was like the end of my childhood. There are a couple movies that made me feel that way, like a, a little icky. Uh, one of them was the He-Man movie, which felt like a bait and switch. Yeah. And uh, then another one was uh, Hook, Robin Again, Williams' Hook. The Hook. I can't get. I hate that movie. <laughs> I think so we've br- I think we've brought it up in every every podcast we've done. Good, good. Yeah, movie that I've never seen, and based on your <laughs> reaction to it, I'll never uh, I'll never watch it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I was listening to some Guns N' Roses at the mm-hmm. time, a little NWA. Uh, way too young for either of those. Way too young, but loved it. Yeah. You put cursing in a song, I'm all over it. And just the beats, Dre's beats on Straight Outta Compton. 
Uh, George W. Bush was just rolling into the presidency mm-hmm. after eight years of Ronald Reagan. He beat up on Michael Dukakis. Yeah, well, Dukakis just didn't look comfortable in that tank. He's trying to oh, roll that around. Oh, that was hilarious, that oversized helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Looking like the oldest G.I. Joe. <laughs> I was like, look, guys, I'm hard. If George Stephanopoulos had a G.I. Joe figure, it would have been Michael Dukakis. I was rooting for him because he had that Greek last name, mm-hmm. but, you know. All right. You know, he just didn't, he didn't have that charisma, though, man. I'm like, I don't want to see you in a tank, man. You don't look like Dolph Lundgren. I think there's a lot of reasons he didn't get elected, but what? That's, a, that's a, it's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into some in-depth political mm-hmm. uh, analysis on on the... We can talk about why Ralph Nader, Joe Lieberman, and uh, Michael Chikakis never had a chance. Yo, <laughs> Yo Walter Mondale, yeah. R.I.P., your career. Sorry about that. Basically, if you grew up eating grape leaves, you're, you're not going to have a viable candidacy. Loves uh, stuffed grape leaves and a spanakopita. I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. Um, oh, uh, you know, 1988 was just a really great year for both Iran and Iraq because they had finished their their little war their against each other. Yeah. I shouldn't say little. Uh, 1.5 million people died in that war. It's not a little. And then, uh, you know, they then uh, Iraq had a couple years to breathe. You know, maybe a year and a half to just like chill out. You know, and then uh, <laughs> Operation Desert Storm kicked in full gear in 1990. So uh, it started at uh, yeah Desert Shield. We y- talked about this as well. Yeah, Iraq had already been um, under under a lot of pressure mm-hmm. fighting um, you know, its neighbors before before we even came in and intervened. Well, I mean, they invaded Kuwait apparently. Yeah, I mean, because they got tacit uh, support from yep. the U.S. to do that. Oh yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, we we gave mixed messages, dude. There were blurred lines. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't know. They were basically listening to the Robin Thicke song. We're like, I I could do this before, but now I can't. Now you're saying I can't do this? Yeah. Oh, oh because of your interests. Gotcha. Oil. I see. Yeah. So I didn't see uh, Bull Durham when it came out because I was too busy watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, yeah. That was a great movie. Yeah, that came out in 1988, and I was super excited, man. That movie taught me about gentrification. 1988, so while we were listening to NWA and Appetite for Destruction, <laughs> the softer side of life was listening to Rick Astley, some uh, Steve Winwood. Yeah. Those were the top songs. Yeah. George Michael's Faith was still on the charts. Dude, all that music just sounds like uh, Xanax. <laughs> <laughs> the adult contemporary Xanax. Yeah, it's just like baby boomers going through like <laughs> early midlife crises. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. If you, uh, cut, if you cut Metamucil with Xanax. White people were still in ascendancy <laughs> at this time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, still. Young Guns, that came out. That was a great movie. You know, I was on the fence. I didn't know which Sheen slash Estevez brother was going was gonna to make it. Yeah, I mean, people... I, a lot of the bets were on Emilio. Yeah, I was always a big Emilio fan. He had worked a lot. I think uh, he was the less gutsy of the two, though. I mean, Wall Street was a great movie. Platoon for Charlie Sheen. Both those two were yeah, and powerhouse Emilio, performances in some way. Emilio was doing, uh, he did this uh, bank robbery movie called Wisdom with mm-hmm. Demi Moore, which I really liked. Repo Man. Repo Man was, dude, that street cred right there. And then when they teamed together, it was probably one of my favorite movies when I was that age was Men at Work. It's an outstanding movie. <laughs> I wonder if that holds up. Oh, man, it doesn't. So maybe we'll do a, <laughs> maybe we'll do a Men at Work oh, review love, at some I point. I would absolutely love to do that. Um, Rain Man was a great film that came out then, Die Hard. So a lot of good competition. Rain Man making autism uh, mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, severe autism. 
Yeah. Well, what I learned from that is that uh, maybe sometimes if you have autism, it's a superpower. Yeah. And you, you, get, you get your own buddy with it uh, to count cards for you. And your own manipulative brother to force you to count cards to save his uh, exotic car dealership business. Yeah. That's another a big 80s thing right there. But that's a different film. So there's a lot of good competition at the box office then. And Big came out. Big. Yeah. And uh, Tom Hanks, uh, a child in an adult body, has mm-hmm. sex in that movie. So that's a little creepy aspect to that film really is actually and then he had to go back and then when he shrinks back down to be a little kid he he still has to you know carry the emotional baggage of having <laughs> having sex, way sex too early <laughs> how do you go back how do you go back to middle school after that yeah you don't yeah it's like you, you can't you, you go to van nuys and you start filming <laughs> porn uh yeah. but we're here to talk about bull durham hell yeah we are um movie you that know, i know is a little bit out of your uh you're not a big sports guy. I know because, well, I think at this time I was paying attention to like you know to, uh, more to, more uh, young actors. You know, Malcolm Jamal Warner wasn't in this. Neither was uh, Tempest Bledsoe. Both both were popular in 1988. So you're specifically referring to the Cosby Show. <laughs> big fan of the show at the time. Gotcha. Watched it. Uh, oh, and uh, the other show that I was watching on TV all the time was Small Wonder. Oh man, Vicky. Su- super creepy show. Really weird show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you guys haven't seen it, small wonder they they had an uh, the what the science it's a suburban family who's the dad is a uh, like a robotics robotics engineer and he creates a daughter making AI yeah which is relevant for now who has superhuman strength too yeah so he, so he creates a teenage girl with superhuman strength uh, to be a playmate for his uh, weird little boy Jamie kid was weird yeah big teeth. He sure did, and uh, and the and the uh, Dorothy Hamill bowl cut that I was rocking at one point, I, probably right around then. We need to put a picture uh, up somewhere of uh, ourselves at this age. I have a great. I look like the kid from Stranger Things, dude. I I, <laughs> I looked older. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> did you have a mustache? <laughs> yeah. I looked like the sick kid from The Simpsons. Oh. And I was just like a little pal, <laughs> a little pallid indoor kid with a giant forehead. Yeah. Indoor kids, it's the best. <laughs> Big, thicker glasses than the ones I have on now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Coke bottle. The Trumans. The area's Truman glasses. Yeah, man. So here we go. Uh, Bull Durham is the movie we're covering today. Sure are. And it's a little bit out of my wheelhouse, man. So uh, what, what, what's going on with this? So I, I feel like at this point, Kevin Costner almost created his own genre with the help of Ron Shelton, who was the writer and director of this film, who has done a lot of good, good films as well. Um, it's yeah, like I haven't a, seen this. I think when it came to baseball movies, I'd seen A League of Their Own yeah, and those, Major League. And those were, I think Major League came out around the same time. A League of Their Own was a few years later. Um, but this was, I, I mean, I was playing baseball a lot at that time. That was the sport that I grew up playing. Were you a shortstop, outfield, catcher? Uh, second base and pitcher. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I played some shortstop. You have a curveball? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. Knuckleball. I don't remember. Screwball. They were just like get it over the plate at that age. Yeah. You know, until like through little league, they were just like you know you can try to work on other pitches, but throw it over the plate. Um. So, I guess uh, I, I wasn't allowed to see this movie when it came out because I mean, even though I like baseball, there was a lot of uh, sexual, strong sexual overtones in this film. Wow. And uh, and. So your parents knew that tawdry they'd language. Seen it. They'd seen it already. I they... don't think so, but I just think the whole premise of like an R-rated movie with you know about baseball. How can it not be crazy? Because we're coming out of the only era of baseball that I can think of as being cool is the mm-hmm. one where that guy pitched a no-no on acid. 
Oh, the seventies. Yeah, the seventies sounded amazing. Like all the baseball players were on uh, speed and doing coke. And, yeah, like just staying up really late, super reckless. Everybody looked unhealthy. They all had big mustaches. It was basically like they were Vietnam soldiers <laughs> in Vietnam, only playing baseball. Like same sort of experience. Yeah, so I just wanted to see the behind the scenes of baseball at that time, yep. rather than um. And apparently they were game. on all kinds of other drugs. Like ro- like they made a big deal about steroids in like the eighties and nineties and two thousands with baseball. But I feel like the I mean, admittedly so, a lot of players were like, yeah, we were all doing steroids forever. Like, but then with the you know coming of the twenty four hour sports news cycle, everything is covered ad nauseum so like you can't get away with absolutely anything and everything's made a big deal they just need to make stories whereas all this stuff learned the radar I mean, people were putting vaseline and boogers on baseballs to get them to throw differently back in the 70s really no one paid attention yeah i mean they knew guys were you know a little shady pine tar so you so go out there things. you grease up your hair with some ky jelly <laughs> or uh, astroglide yeah. and then you uh and then you take this uh in personal lubricant Mm-hmm. And you and you wipe your hair just to get a you, spin on that ball, and yep. you slather the ball mm-hmm. like you would a, a a hand that you were going to use to sort of fist another person, and you would throw that ball over the plate. Is yeah, that yeah, something like that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I didn't. I never was in little league, so I'm just right. sort of like, ma- oh, we know. didn't do it. As oh, kids. you guys? Yeah. Oh, hell no! No, I'm talking about professional sports players. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm talking about the heroes on the Wheaties box. I was just trying to catch the ball. I wasn't trying to get a weird <laughs> advantage using sexual lubricants. <laughs> if I can get a little English on my curveball. Um, yeah, so I wasn't allowed to see this movie because it was a, a, a romantic sexual romp revolving around uh, little league or national. Sorry, uh, minor league baseball. Interesting. And I, I uh, knew Kevin Costner. I wasn't really a big sports fan. Like I said, indoor kid, lots of asthma. Right. But I liked him from uh, Narrow... What was it? He was in a movie where he's in the Pentagon, and he's got to run around. It's a claustrophobic film where he is... Uh, no Way Out? He's a, Thank you. Yes, yeah. he's a spy. Mm-hmm. He was or they way... think he is. And right. Yeah. Young Costner. He Young always Costner. seemed a little... Older. He always seemed old. Yeah, he, he's like perpetually 45 years old. He's got that dad energy. Mm-hmm. Like wearing like Land's End... Uh, windbreakers. He looked like those old yeah, Ralph Lauren ads. Baggy in like baggy jackets, baggy suede leather jackets, and uh, khakis. Yep. And loafers, aviator sunglasses. Just like uh, everyone's everyone's dad that we went to school with that lives in Bethesda. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Kind of a pe like a peacock dad. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, so Bull Durham, you know, and um, I'd heard of it, but the name doesn't have any resonance for me. And uh, and we're gonna let's just jump into it. Let's do it. All right. So I got a synopsis of the movie, and uh, we're we're following around the underdog team, the Durham Bulls, and they're having a season where they're eight uh, for sixteen, um, and they're they got this amazing pitcher with all this raw talent, uh, and his uh, played by uh, Tim Robbins. And Tim Robbins uh, has a fastball, but he's got no control, and he's got no other pitches, no wisdom. And out of nowhere, um, the team decides to hire Crash Davis, played by Kevin Costner. Who's a like perennial uh, minor league journeyman um, who you know had one stint in the, uh, in the show, they call it, which is Major League Baseball. But... Yeah, I like that. I like the slang. Right. 
there's a lot of good slang here. So this is a, a thing about the film. Ron Shelton, the, the writer-director, spent five years in and out of the minor league system for the Baltimore Orioles, so he had a lot of uh, a lot of really good insight and kind of made the film feel more authentic. Gritty, um, yeah. real. It looked real. It looked like a, yeah. Yeah, so so those are the, the two main characters are uh, Tim Robbins' character, whose nickname is Nuke, and Kevin Costner's character, whose name is Crash, and Crash is the... Uh, is going to be his catcher. Mm. Crash is the catcher, and Tim Robbins is the uh, the pitcher. Nuke is the pitcher. They so, wanted a, a crafty veteran, a wily vet like Crash Davis to catch him and kind of uh, school him. Yeah, and uh, we see this partnership here between a catcher and a pitcher is kind of like the relationship between a wide receiver and his quarterback, or nice like work, Maverick and Goose mm-hmm. in Top Gun. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are separate <laughs> from the rest of the team. And that yep. they've got this uh, very, very intimate um, partnership. They're on that, an island together. Exactly. Right. But uh, there is a third um, main character in this movie. The third variable. The third variable in this triangle. Yep. Some might even call it a love triangle. I think most would call it a love triangle. And that is Susan Sarandon's character, Annie Savoy. And Annie Savoy uh, is our introduction to the film setting. She's uh, We hear her internal monologue at the beginning, and I thought immediately, oh, man, Susan Sarandon is going to be this movie's Morgan Freeman. She is the narrative for the film. Yeah, and she's a super fan and a groupie. And she, instead of being a groupie that follows around rock bands, she uh, follows the minor league baseball team season by season by season. That's true. Well, it's in her hometown. Yeah. And uh, she um, it, uh, uh, subscribes to the religion of baseball. Right. So she's a spiritual wanderer who's highly literate and drops all sorts of poetic references uh, throughout the movie. Right. And uh, now she's devoted herself to the spiritual practice of, of baseball. Right. And mentoring uh, newer players that don't have discipline. An interesting way to mentor, but yeah. Yeah. Every year she picks a new player. Uh, who she makes her lover, right? Um, but really, the that sexual tension and energy, she, it's it's just the entry point. She sublimates that into teaching them to be, uh, to master their craft, to better themselves in the game, yeah, and in love. So, uh, so Nuke Tim Robbins' character Nuke is going to have <laughs> Nuke Lelouch is going to have two mentors in this movie. He's going to have Annie Savoy, played mm-hmm. by Susan Sarandon, and Crash Davis. Uh, who is played by Kevin Costner, and sometimes they're going to butt heads. But like we said, it's a romantic triangle because Crash is also vying for Susan or Annie's attention. Right. So, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about... The scene on the couch. Yeah, well, Nuke. Nuke is, you know, he's got this fastball and no control, Mm. and he's like... The first way, time that we see him, he's late to get on to the field because he's having sex with uh, Millie. Who is who, the actual groupie. Yeah, she's the she's a big-time sponsor's daughter, so she gets away with sort of being um, back in the, back in the uh, locker room. Yeah. And she, uh, she they, nobody can say no to her. She's been with everybody on the team, uh, except for the ultra-religious, uh, like, born-again Christian, wholesome... Uh, player Mm -hmm. and um yeah he is uh so so nuke is terrible at um (laughs) at doing anything other than throwing fastballs yeah he has no control that's that's how we meet him and he and he's a terrible lover too he's he's a kid (laughs) yeah 
he's like, oh, we got three minutes till I got to be out there. No problem. Yeah. Let's make this happen. So he's a selfish lover. We'll say that. All twenty year old dudes for the most part are. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, and well, Annie is uh very empowered. She she says uh, she accepts full responsibility for all of her actions. She's like, yeah. women don't get lured. She we're too strong. Yeah, she is always line. choosing. She's yeah. she's very selective woman. Smart, yes, smarter than almost that. Smarter than anyone in the movie. Yeah. Well, Kevin Costner, he walks in. Uh, in his first scene, I'm like, oh, this guy just feels like he's part of a different movie altogether. He had gravity <laughs> and star power, and uh, they. It's such a. It's almost disrespectful how he gets introduced because we see him right off the bat, like um, as highly knowledgeable about baseball. He's using all the slang. Uh, he remembers an old game that he played. Uh, with um, the the assistant coach, well, yeah, of, Robert Wool, also of HBO's Arliss. Yeah, hilarious uh, character actor. Yeah, so he like knows all this lingo and slang about baseball, and and uh, he's definitely respects the sport and himself. And they're telling him, "Hey, uh, we're, you're here hired basically to babysit this new kid. You need to get him ready for the big leagues. Coach him up. Coach him up, and." Uh, He's uh, he's almost like a better manager than the coach. We see that throughout the film, like he's giving advice to all the other players. Yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing there. Yeah, and so a, a, a career opportunity. And it's it's weird uh, to to think like he's the biggest fish in a tiny pond. Like how it's a pretty bittersweet to be uh, the best player in minor league baseball. Yeah, he has a. He, he, you know, he's vying for the home run record in minor league baseball. So he's a journeyman. He's seen it all. And basically, you know, his uh, initial introduction to uh, Nuke was uh, Tim Robbins' character. Uh, they get into a fight over uh, over Annie at, at the bar when they all first met. That's right. Gets him to try to th- throw a baseball at him. Like, Nuke wants to fight him so they go outside. Couldn't throw a baseball at him. Misses it. Embarrasses himself. And then uh, Nuke charges him. And he knocks him out, <laughs> and he starts giving him baseball lessons, basically, and life lessons right from that point. So they're both a little kind of vying for Annie. Annie's attracted to both of them. She invites them over to her house, where she yeah. lays out her ent- entire game plan of you know how she operates. She's like, "I'm not sleeping with either of you guys tonight. Right. I usually make my decision a few weeks in to figure out who who's going to get me." And uh, Crash has you know been through. Seen all, seen it all at this point, and, and he he's not down for this rigmarole. Doesn't have the role. time for the fucking bo- the bullshit, the bojangles. He's not bojangling, <laughs> right? Well, it's like when you you know you've got a girlfriend or whatever, and you're with you're with a partner, and you go out to a bar, and somebody's just like flirting with you, but it's like a hassle. It's, I respected her honesty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I res- and he's just he doesn't have time for it. So. So obviously, he gives this sort of. Uh, Great, great little one-minute speech about what he believes in, you know, in love and life, and uh, and then he walks out, which you know, really kind of got her attention. Anyway, yeah, Nuke, uh, because yeah. sometimes playing hard to get is the is the right approach. Sometimes, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so she ends up with Nuke, which is kind of what, and you she know. becomes his uh, Mr. Miyagi with right. uh, sexual therapy, right? Which is probably the best way to motivate a man in general. <laughs> That teaching method works better than throwing a punch at him. It's just the male version. 
nature yeah. versus nurture. No, we do we do see like a like both a masculine and a feminine way mm-hmm. of um, so, uh, educating somebody and helping put them on a path to to master their craft and gain wisdom. Right. And now in the end, which one was more effective? You know, so it's kind of like a mom or a dad. Well, I think the answer is they both are. Yeah, there's a there's definitely a, a symbiotic relationship or a, like a synergy between these two mm-hmm. different approaches. Because I think that um, Newt gains insight from both. Oh, yeah. But uh, They all do. Everyone learns. Yeah, she tries to, you know, Annie <laughs> Annie uh, ties him up <laughs> to keep to keep Nuke from uh, being able to grope her and mm-hmm. have sex with her. Uh, and, um, and then reads poetry to him while he's tied up. So, yeah. so that's, that's that. Uh, he, she's kind of like his uh, Dan Savage. Or, yeah, Dan Savage is like a sex pod, sex positive podcaster. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the uh, ignorance there. No, it's fine. It's... Um, <laughs> I've, I've heard of him now. I just... Uh, can... I mean, he's not even at the top anymore. Right. You know, of, uh, he's not at the cutting edge of sex positive podcasting because he's a uh, cis male. So... There's that. His terms are all flying right by me. That means he was born as a dude. Okay. So, you know, he's he's no longer the future. Right. (laughs) Um, He's the T one thousand. His his claim to fame was that he was he's gay. Oh, okay. So that was cutting edge like a couple years ago. Mm. But sorry, bro. You're like last year's model. Um So there's (sighs) You know what? What I like, what <laughs> what I liked about this movie so far, like, and we're still in the very first mm. half of it, is just like the language in it is amazing. There's so many f- fantastic quotes. Yeah. Uh, like one of them is uh, when uh, you couldn't hit water if you fell out of a boat. I don't know if that was originally theirs, but yeah, that's a great line. And uh, which and I'm sure has been used. Then there's a scene all where, over sports where Nuke and uh, Nuke and Annie are making love. And uh, Annie says, "Crash his name instead." Oh right. Yeah. And uh, she's and and Nuke gets his feelings hurt, and she says, uh, "Would you rather me making love to you using his name, or me making love to him using yours?" Typical guy response is making love to me using his name. Yeah. Look, man, know. you just appreciate where you are. You yeah. know, that's what I always. You gotta say. live in the moment. Exactly. Be thankful for for wherever you're at. Yeah. Especially if you're having a good time. Uh, strikeouts are boring and fascist <laughs> i didn't quite understand what that meant but it was a fantastic non sequitur right and uh and here's another one in the show everybody has a fastball you need a curveball right so you know um right now nuke you know nuke is really uh he's resting on his laurels being fast and strong and young but uh sometimes being clever is what's important yeah he he uh, in one game he uh, set a league record for most walks and most strikeouts with 18 of each, which is hilarious because I don't <laughs> know how you get 18 of either one of those things in real life. But So that's him in a nutshell. Uber talented, loose cannon, immature, rubbish. You know, I think I'd rather go to a minor league baseball game than a major league baseball game. Yeah. I wouldn't, but sure. <laughs> and I've been to them both. Yeah? You should go to a Cyclones game one time. They're fun. I've, I've been to one on Staten Island, and that was pretty cool. Yeah. It was the Staten Island Yankees, I guess. Sure. And then there was there was one in uh, Coney Island. 
So here's something that I want to... Yeah, the, the uh, Brooklyn Cyclones. Yeah, okay, okay. So you've been doing stand-up in New York for some time. Sure. Um, does minor league baseball, this, this whole sort of traveling show of like, you know... <laughs> well, Mike Circuit that 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 seems very relatable. Well, uh, to me. I mean, like everyone's just got some talent, working your ass off for yeah, pennies. <laughs> what talent doesn't mean anything really without uh, without learning all of these other like just skills, which right. are networking is a huge skill, and uh, also just being patient, mm-hmm. uh, learning when to shut your yap. so fucking grinding but then also you know so much luck is involved too it's like it's like i see a crash could have been amazing and maybe amazing in the majors but he just got passed over or he wasn't noticed or people thought that he was a bad investment because he wasn't young enough and uh there's so many different like like i'd say in entertainment people aren't always looking for the most talented person like to be on tv right like a commercial casting agent doesn't really care about how great your jokes are they're looking for a face right to sell you know how marketable you are yeah they're sure. looking for somebody to sell soap mm-hmm. or somebody to sell a certain type of computer right and they're like what what person best represents reflects the demographic that we want to capture right so in that you know you can't uh you just you know you got to do it. it's like you got to keep doing it for the love you yeah. do it for the love of comedy, the love of stand-up, and that's kind of what Annie and what Crash are doing. They're they're in it for the love of the game. Correct. I just saw parallels there. I thought it was worth mentioning, and it seems. You know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of parallels here between, you know, anybody who feels like past, maybe past their prime, or like they're not being um, acknowledged. And a big difference, though, is like when I first saw this, I was comparing it a little bit to Donnie Brasco. Because I was thinking about uh, Al Pacino's character in that, and how he's a mob, a mobster who's sort of been passed over, mm. and like, you know, Sonny Sonny Black has never uh, given Al Pacino's character his dues, right? Lefty, Lefty was his name. But um, the big difference between that movie and and uh, Crash's character is Crash seems to be a lot more self confident, right? He's not he's not like a he's not a loser even though he's been passed over. You know, he's right. like the most well-read. He reads books that don't have pictures in them, they say. Right. Everyone respects him. Everyone uh, loves him and appreciates his wisdom. Right. Oh, he's so, well-respected. He's got all the, the traits that, you know, Yeah. a, a future manager has. But I, what I think is interesting is um, uh, this compared to showbiz, like minor league baseball and showbiz, mm-hmm. Is that you don't get paid a lot in either one, especially at the bottom of the totem pole, right. and that there's no job security. You have no transferable skills when you leave, and there's no retirement plan. Right. So it really is succeed or die, and only the excellent make it. And it feels like, but no man's an island. It's like uh, Nuke wouldn't be able to ascend to the majors without the help of Annie and and, uh, Crash. So it's like, well, it would have been fantastic if they could create a system where these people get some sort of compensation or even a percentage of the income that that, uh, Nuke would have gotten. Right. You yeah, know? I mean, you got it. Your potential is a is a, is a is a gift, but it's not it's not it. Yeah, yeah. I look at like minor league baseball looks like a free market hellscape 
<laughs> kind of is. Spend your whole life on a bus playing in Podunk towns, trying to just trying to get there. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so right after this kid uh, nuke, he gets you know we'll cut, we'll cut long story short he he gets uh, called up to the show right. And when he gets called up to the show, Crash gets fired. Uh, Annie loses her lover. What you know now? What? Yeah, which, like you said, it's very cutthroat. So Crash gets. You know, he was there for a, in a more of a mentor role, but he's having a good season. But they have a 20-year-old who's hitting batting 300. They said that a catcher that they want to bring in. And this could have been a really grim ending. If this movie had been made in the 70s, that would have been the end. Yeah, it would have been the end. <laughs> but we get we get a little bit of a happy ending. Right. Because uh, Crash ends up uh, having like a weekend romp with Annie. They <laughs> realize that they're perfect for each other. Yeah. And then he leaves her a Dear John note. Uh, and runs off to finish his season for another minor league team, I think in Asheville. Yep. But he uh, ends with a fantastic record, uh, and I I don't know how the how the points work mm. in baseball, but he did, he does I guess he hits a lot of balls. Hits, hits a lot of home runs. Yeah. Yeah. So the balls go places, and he mm. gets to run around the diamond a couple times, and it's great. So yep. then after that, he comes back. He gets Annie. He says, "Yo, I'm gonna go coach." I want to go. Let's go start a spinoff sitcom together, where I coach a team, and you and I have a bunch of babies. Yeah, we can quote James Joyce and Walt Whitman to each other and uh, talk about baseball and and fuck. <laughs> yeah. So really, sort of the uplifting message at the end of this film is that uh, is that the world may not appreciate you, but perhaps you can get one person who will. Yeah. I mean, towards the end of the film, when she's sort of going over everything, Annie's character or uh, Susan Sarandon's character, uh, there was the line. Uh, the quote, which was basically, you know, the world, um, uh, the world is made for people who aren't cursed with self-awareness. And that was, uh, a great line and it kind of, uh, explained, uh, Nuke's character. She's like, he, she always knew he'd be fine because he did, he just does he's like oblivious to anything around him other than the fact that he's good at baseball. Yes. So yeah. No... It's the dark side of, uh, being Forrest Gump. He's like, yeah, he's like a baseball sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh i mean i've noticed that in everything uh really uh, oh, yeah. most of the time success is just being completely unreflective and unself-aware and uh bowling through other people yeah to get to yeah let's look at the world of finance <laughs> these guys are the worst <laughs> <laughs> right how do you raise a successful finance bro okay. well don't give them yeah. any ethical training a lot yeah no a lot of cage training <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, what do you think, man? You like this movie? Yeah, I really I thought this, the the script was solid. Obviously, it was nominated for an Oscar, but it, it did like a really good job, especially in the '80s, of covering. You know, it had a really strong feminist overtone to it. Susan Sarandon's character was great. The acting was super solid on all sides. Yeah, man, I was a huge fan of uh, Susan Sarandon in this. Uh, Tim Robbins and Kevin Costner con- oh continues to uh, amaze me. Yeah. You know, it's awesome that we we've gone back to his body of work. I think twice now yep. we saw the Bodyguard, and this is like a, a different character than Frank Farmer and the Bodyguard, and they're but they're both they're both fun to watch, right. and he's uh he's he's really funny in a in a like a dry wry way right yeah his delivery is always kind of the same in movies but i mean that's why he had such star power back then and was able to do I and mean, he's obviously a very talented guy but his movies are you know they're watchable 
Yeah. They're more than watchable, and, they're, you know, he's done so many different styles. I think he kind of, like, tried to create his own genre, because he's been in a few movies that are similar to this, like a sports backdrop and a love story, which I don't think is that uncommon, but I feel like he was the, he's the only person I think of in my head. Well, this guy, uh, Skelton? Shelton. Shelton. Yeah, Ron, Ron Shelton. Shelton. Uh, so Ron Shelton's background was that, like, he, uh, he realized at 25 that he was going to make it in the major leagues. Yeah. Uh, and so he he didn't want to become a Crash Davis. Right. And he went on to write a bunch of other uh, sports films, and Tin Cup is one of them. Which we'll do eventually. Yeah, so, you know, and that's another Kevin Costner film. Yep. So we can see right there that maybe he he favors this actor as well. I mean, he did White Men Can't Jump. There's a good love story in there as well. Dude, great. Excellent day glow clothing. Oh, man. Flip-top hats. Basically, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes look like they were in TLC. Just so much shit talking. It's yeah, such a great movie. That's a really, that's a, that's a dude. Man, Rosie Perez, get out of here! Awesome. Rollerblading around town, just memorizing all of the trivia questions for Jeopardy. So many great lines from her in that movie. Yes, sir. Um, this feels this feels pretty good. I it's funny, uh, you know, I, baseball. I didn't think I'd like a movie about it, but. Yeah, I a mean, good, I'd, I'd watch this one again. A good script is a good script. A good movie is a good... I mean, like, you know, to make things successful in that sense, you just need a good script and really solid acting, and they had all of it. And, you know, and, 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 and there's love, comedy, sports. It appeals to a lot of people. I mean, you, know, you, can, you can watch this with your kid. You can watch this with 80s kids, because, it, you know, back then, yeah. everybody was watching sex on TV. It didn't really matter. Right. Well, not on TV, but, like, all the movies had some... Oh, yeah. Some this t- and it doesn't feel that inappropriate. It feels like a it feels like a PG movie now with like two does. two sex scenes in it. Right, right. There's barely any cursing. Uh, it also feels timeless, like or like rather out of time. It's got this nostalgic vibe, like it's from the fifties, but it is yeah. contemporary. It, yeah, it was, I mean, it took place in, in the year that it was filmed. Yeah, but it definitely felt like it could be like a, yeah, like you like a Norman Rockwell painting of a movie. <laughs> that that's right like they're listening to music that nobody at the time was listening to it's a lot of like old rock a lot of old r&b too yeah. yeah it's a throwback to um like the sort of like baby boomer nostalgia for the 50s very, aesthetic very like so it, it, it's got a, a wholesome vibe to it like look at this great american pastime right and by making it minor league you you get rid of a lot of that sort of glitz and glamour. Yeah, the pretension and, that, and everything involved with that. That amazing Mets, which is the movie I want to watch, uh, like a film about like Daryl Strawberry and all like the '80s Mets dudes. Oh, there's some good documentaries on, on yeah. that whole era, man. Because that was yeah, that's what happens when you get those minor league guys and you just get them a bunch of money, <laughs> <laughs> just on cocaine the whole time. Yeah, just like the Wu Tang <laughs> Clan of baseball. Base- <laughs> Sounds amazing. So yeah, but Bull Durham. Uh, I mean, I I recommend watching this movie with anyone. Maybe not like your you know under fifteen year old kids, but it's a it's just a well done film. I had fun. Boom. Yeah. Hey guys. So uh, you know this is I guess going to be a shorter episode, but it just feels like we. <laughs> We covered it. It's uh, it's light fair. It's fun for the whole family. Kevin Costner's in it, just killing the game, making uh, making moms excited, uh, get getting me to think about like you know aging gracefully and becoming a middle aged man. What do I want to do? He's the model. Yep, using baseball to put butts, to put dad's butts in the seats. <laughs> and um, 
Yo, Tim Robbins was good in it as well. Uh, right after met. this, he went on to date Susan Sarandon for a while, so I guess they had like real chemistry on well, they, set. They, they, they had kids together. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They, they were on and off for like 30 years. So you know more about their personal business than I do, which is, which yeah. is nice. That's why you're on this. Right. Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. All Bull, right. Bull Durham, folks. Uh, check in with us next week, and we'll have another episode of Eat, Pray, and Judge. I'm Gabe Pacheco. Sammy Hamarne. All right. Peace.